Hello, listener. You found the latest edition of Michigan Soccer Central, your source for all things about the beautiful game here in the Great Lakes State. How's it going? My name is Robert Kerr, host with you once again on this here Michigan Soccer Central podcast. And with me this week, Michigan Soccer Central contributor from uh, the North Central region of the state, Mr. Nick Mays. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, yeah, just uh, just chilling in my apartment in Lansing and uh, hopefully going back to school uh, sooner rather than later at MSU. And this week, uh, we are going to start chugging along in our review of all the stuff that uh, happened over the summer. We waited for so long for uh, soccer to come back, and it all happened all at the same time. So we're trying to pick up all the pieces and tie up some loose ends uh, from all that happened. So we're going to talk to Nick this week about uh, the season that was for the Flint City Bucks. A uh, couple uh, things I wanted to mention. We are on episode 14 of Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. If you want to flick back through the feed here on Spotify, you'll see We've had some pretty outstanding episodes thus far, like last week when Brooks Lambeer talked to Michael Douglas, the founder of the Soccer Rebellion, a national touring uh, five-a-side uh, pickup game, uh, trying to focus on the free-flowing and less structured uh, sphere of uh, the game we love. And uh, previous to that, Warren Native and now oh, uh, Ohio State University coach Brian Mason Ev, hopefully I got his name just right. And previous to that, I talked to a couple photographers covering this beautiful game of ours across the state, and Kyle Clayton and John DeBoer, and amongst other great interviews. So please check out the other episodes in the Spotify feed for Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. And I'm sure you do already, but check out the uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds for Michigan Soccer Central. A couple of announcements, a couple of things that happened. Uh, Oakland County FC founder and uh, Livonia City FC board member Ben Rohde announced as the regional go-to guy for NISA Nation, which will uh, seems to have the intention on connecting the uh, lower leagues through uh, NISA's new branch of the soccer world. So uh, we will get him on to talk about his new position as well as his new role, Livonia, here in a couple weeks. And then youngster Kellen Clegg, who I believe is from Livonia, becomes the second Livonia 2021 class member to get an invite to go over to the UK. Uh, Mr. Clegg uh, comes, uh, just had announced at the beginning of the month that he signed for Everton's football college program, which will get him into a college in Liverpool and also play for the U23 side in the Premier League 2. So exciting news for another Michigan-based player. Okay, so until uh, this season, uh, the USL2, formerly the Pro Development League, was uh, somewhat dominated in the until Detroit came around in the last... 10 years or so, the Michigan Bucks and now the Flint City Bucks were um, 
you know, the flagship team for uh, soccer in Michigan. And now <laughs> there's been a wave of new teams created and the division that the Bucks play in has been uh, populated by uh, almost a half dozen Michigan-based teams. So, um, Nick, does your uh, expertise go beyond this year, or were, were you really first? This was was this your first year focused on so the Bucks? So, I followed I followed the I followed the Bucks briefly uh, uh, during their little title uh, title run in 2019, and. Uh, let's just say it was a wild ride to uh to kind of you know watch from the side as this team that you know not going into the playoffs was kind of expected to win the whole thing but just kind of you know home field advantage uh was used uh to their advantage and uh they kind of cruised through um pretty much the the most important games especially that semifinal at home which they narrowly narrowly got out and then the final to win on a penalty uh it was just uh it was uh it was a great season for flint and uh they wanted to capitalize well they wanted to capitalize the following year but obviously they could not uh covid got in the way but they tried to repeat this year and that's when that's when i started becoming you know a little bit more game by game uh following the flint city bucks so yeah, 2019 definitely an exciting time to um, enter the world of the Bucks. You know, heading off to uh, yet another national championship, but uh, that's kind of been their mo. Uh, like you're saying in that particular game, they have always seemed to, at least in my memory, always seem to be able to pull out that last minute winner um, when it counts. And interesting that it didn't happen this year at the at the very end of it all. But why don't you? Um, Kind of, kind of start at the beginning. How did, uh, how did the 2021 season start off for the Flint City Bucks? Fast. Um, the Toledo game to open the season was a very, very strong outing for the Flint City Bucks. They, they just dominated that game front to back, and Toledo looked like they had no chance in their debut game uh, in USL two. Uh, but over the course after that, they did draw nil nil. Uh, in Cincinnati against Kings Hammer, uh, I, I have a feeling that the the long drive to Cincinnati probably had a part to play in that nil nil draw. But again, they they must have been very disappointed uh, as title defenders to even drop points at all. Uh, then they won the following two home games uh, to wrap up the first four games of the season, which seemed like a very very strong start and. Honestly, it did not look like they lost a step, even though most of the players, you know, weren't part of that 2019 squad. In fact, I don't even know if uh, more than four or five players were even part of that 2019 squad. But uh, but yeah, they did not look like they they lost a step. So they, they start off um, and, and they look pretty good. And so what, what was the expectations you uh, you wrote a little bit for Michigan Soccer Central, but you were also uh, embedded with the team. What, what was the feeling in the uh, early goings? Because the, the USL League 2 season, uh, for those who don't know, is mostly just May, June, and the beginning part of July. The second half of July um, is playoffs. Um, so so that first first month, they were feeling good up there? They expected to defend the title. I mean that. I mean, in, inside the building, you know, the aura uh, of everybody inside the building was that they, uh, they are, you know, 
one of the most historic franchises in USL2, if not the most um, successful historically in in the entire division. And you know, coming off of a coming off a 2019 title season, it was it was hard to really deny them that they believed that they would be the favorites going into this year. And you know, this first five games of the season didn't really look like they were you know vulnerable even like i mean it was it, it was two away games where they dropped points but at home they looked absolutely dominant uh through at least two of the three home games the dayton the dayton game was kind of tough for them but they made up for it later in the season by spanking them uh seven nothing uh in dayton so uh yeah they uh they they, they really expected to win the title this year and if not win the title they expected to get close because they they saw themselves as true favorites going into this year and why not uh, it was yeah they had a strong team strong team front to back and they really really thought that off of that early early batch of form that you know it was something was cooking uh that they m- might come back and uh take another one could you uh, speak to any like the individual uh players or performances that really stood out to you so early on especially um in that early run of form, you you could tell, uh, especially with Dylan Porchak, uh, Noah Jensen, those two those two wingers were very very crucial to them early and their early success, assisting pretty much most of their goals throughout that time period. Charlie Sharp was a solid solid contributor up top for them as well early on, and uh, and Erlinson, curiously enough, one one of their defenders is actually getting on the score sheet five times throughout the whole season which is uh, interesting to say the least. He also was the, uh, he also uh, had the thermo shots on the team as well. So uh, Erlinson had himself a season to say the least, um, but with three is three goals, four assists and 21 shots. And, and he played all four. He played, um, he played a, he played a solid amount of games too, but yeah, he absolute great season for Erlinson. Oh, wait, no, no. I, I, that was Harvey Slade, who also had a fantastic season, by the way. Harvey Slade was really the heart and soul of this um, Flint City Bucks season, pretty much, from start to finish. Uh, like I said, he had three goals, four assists, and 21 shots. Erlinson had himself uh, five goals, two assists, and 20 shots, which is ridiculous for a defender. But Harvey, in particular... Uh, would find himself in positions where he would be scoring goals that saved a point or outright won a game. He he would he would find um, he would find himself in really really clutch situations, uh, pulling out a victory, especially um, or even a tie. There was a the fifth game of the season in Grand Rapids. Uh, they were down one 0 most of the game, and then Harvey Slade came up with a free kick that you know saved a point for them, and it was huge because at the time they were undefeated. And then the middle the middle of the season really happened for them, and that's when the losses started piling up, and you know the Flint Bucks were starting to doubt whether or not they'd even make the playoffs at that point. Yeah, from 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 the the from what I can remember, was there a little bit of a, a lack of depth or something missing in their midfield? They. You know, it, it really uh, they they really did look for um, more midfield um, kind of more um, how do I say like you know more combinations in the midfield and you know gathering more players and kind of seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, but one thing's for sure, Harvey was pretty much guaranteed 
a midfield or center uh, or a center back spot on that team. It was just whether or not, you know, they could afford to move him uh, up to midfield. And most of the time they could because, you know, uh, they had one of the most solid center backs um, in USL2 and George Proctor, who put in a shift all season. It was just an absolute uh, rock for them at the back. Um, but it, it really, you know, it, the Flint season didn't really turn around for them until, you know, they found some consistent scoring. In the beginning of the season, it was more of a mixed bag of, like, who was going to get on the score sheet. And it was more of a, it would be, oh, it would be one goal from Charlie Sharp. It'd be one goal from Erlinson. It'd be one goal from Slade, one goal from Ids. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of, they didn't really have a true goal scorer. Um, and it was more of a by committee thing, which I think is what got them in trouble in the, in the middle of the season when, you know, they, they came up against Kings hammer again at home and they dropped a two, one game there. Uh, you know, with Flint, it was mostly just, they had a lot of shots. They just couldn't convert on all of them. And that was just the unfortunate bit of it was because, you know, they, they probably, if XG were a stat in uh, USL two, Flint would have dominated the stat because they they had so many shots on target every single game, and you know sometimes it'd just be unlucky that they didn't score or that they didn't score like five instead of two. Um, but yeah, especially in that Kings Hammer game, they they were unlucky to at least draw the game, uh, and then they lose to Kalamazoo and Kalamazoo. Um, but they found a little bit of run of form against Fort Wayne and Dayton in the middle of the season where they, they, they absolutely crushed them three nil and seven nil respectively. But then the, the, the real kick in the, in the teeth was the Grand Rapids game at home. Uh, that was a game that they did not expect to lose. Um, especially at home, especially with both of the Kings hammer and Grand Rapids games, both of those losses happening at home is just, it really killed the mood um, in Flint, but again, they rebounded nicely when they signed uh, when they signed you know a, a guy who could score consistent goals in Amadou Cisse. And when he came in the squad, played for the whole season, seven games, six goals. That's an outstanding goals to game ratio for um, for the new striker that they found literally midway through the season. Uh, but you could see the turn up in form at the end of the season. And it was the South Bend game was really when it turned on its head because that game in specific was a game that they really didn't, they really didn't look like they'd win the game until, uh, until they, you know, pulled out a 90th minute uh, winner down to 10 men. And they were down to 10 men. And they pulled out a 90th minute winner and that single-handedly turned around their season because at that point, you're thinking, okay, they made the playoffs. They look like they'll be okay. And then all they have to do is just take care of business at Oakland and take care of business in Toledo, two teams that were kind of mid-pack in their own division. And they took care of business there. They were sure to make at least a playoff push. And they, they took care of business there. And then the home the home closer was really where, you know, they had to, I believe they had to win in order to get in and they they took care of business, won four nil, and they made the playoffs. So again, it was it really showed that when Cisse came into the squad, all of a sudden goals started popping out everywhere. You'd you'd see the last three games they scored at least four goals in each and every game, and it was just 
it finally clicked to them at the end of the season to finish uh, a solid proportion of all their chances. And that's really what this, the storyline of the season was for Flint was they just, they had, they were very good at creating these chances, but they just couldn't finish all of them. And in a perfect world, they score six or seven goals per game, but it only happened in a couple of them. Uh, do you have any, like, uh, I don't have the answer to this, but I was curious, where, where did they find uh CSA? Uh, mid-season that that put him over the top. Can you can you speak to that at all? I don't know. I don't know how they found him, um, but I can say that you know they Flint Flint will if they think they're doing bad. Uh, well, not bad, but if they think they need some improvement on the uh, on the squad itself, um, then uh, obviously they'll keep scouting and keep searching and see if they can. Um, kind of find these players that can, you know, fit their squad and fit their needs. Um, but I, I'm not totally sure where uh, where he uh, goes to college or where he's from. Uh, but, I, yeah, I I can tell you that as soon as he came to the – as soon as he came onto the squad, he was the goal machine for them. Yeah, that, that's a, quite a knack they have. Um, for that, and were you saying that the two-one win um, in Fort Wayne was the thing that really turned things around? The two-one win in in uh, the two-one win at home against South Bend was when the playoff push kind of you know they the focus was now back on you know winning every single game from now on. Uh, they were so the the turning point, the low point of the season was probably losing that Grand Rapids game, but that was started by a loss at home, uh, a loss at home to Kings hammer, which kind of, it started this little downturn of form. Um, but the South Bend game was really the turning point of the season when they, they got, they, they start that and they start a streak of four straight wins and, uh, go into the playoffs feeling hot and feeling like they can score at least two goals per game. June 29th, Uh, South Bend, 2-1, uh, 4th of July, 4-1 over Oakland County, 5-1 at Toledo, and then rounding up with another one against OCFC. But that got them into the playoffs. So so what happened then? So the playoffs, uh, unfortunately for them, were not held in Flint anymore. They were held in um, Des Moines, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, going into the going into the playoffs, I, I would assume that they thought that they could uh, – get out of uh, their, their first two games in Des Moines and see if they can travel, uh, continue to come back and uh, travel and move on in the tournament as far as they can. But unfortunately they ran into Des Moines uh, in the second round and uh, they got a little bit of a taste of their own medicine as far as home field advantage is concerned. So it's an unfortunate end of the season uh, for them. It's a very disappointing end of the season for them. I, I know that they'll, that they, they would assume that they would have uh, got a lot more out of uh, out of their season, but it's a very unfortunate end. And uh, uh, it was a great it was a great season, uh, top to bottom, with a little bit of dip in form. But you know they found they found something late in the season, and I think uh, they should at least be proud of. Um, and I think they are proud that they they made that push towards the end of the season to really rebound and make the playoffs. But uh, again, it's very unlucky for them to lose uh, a playoff game in Des Moines against Des Moines. And it's, again, it's, 
home home field seems to mean a lot at this level of soccer um, for for these teams to you know just kind of pull out these wins and uh, yeah I, I would assume that they would have hoped that they would have been able to be f- at least favored to win that match but yeah and you know I mean it's there's no shame in losing to the 2021 USL champions so. <laughs> Yeah, that, that 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 is a battle of the Titans. So the uh, the 2019 Flint City Bucks champions, uh, you know, fell to the Des Moines Menace, who then go on to win the 2021 uh, USL League Two National Championship. And yeah, no coincidence, the number one team earns the the home field advantage and then goes on to to win it all. So yes, like you said, the the home field advantage. Uh, no doubt an advantage pretty much because if they, they got to stay home the whole way, um, they don't have uh, – I know there was a lot of long bus rides and uncomfortable trips for a exactly. lot of these teams to get to various places like Mississippi, somewhere in Louisiana, and then for in Des Moines for these uh, regional playoff rounds. And Flint and Flint had their, had their home field advantage in 2019, so uh... – yeah, I, I don't know if it's complete coincidence that, you know, two kind of, well, two years in a row in air quotes that the home team has literally won the championship in both years. But um, yeah, I, I do think there is a factor of long bus rides. I mean, they, you know, it's 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 already hard enough to go to Cincinnati and, you know, take that six hour driver, however long it is for them um, and, you know, expect to play like, you know, that day or, you know, the day after I couldn't imagine having to, you know, go on one or two days notice to Des Moines and uh, expect to just pull out a W. Um, but uh, they did win their first playoff game against Chicago three, one, it was a solid game for them. Um, but yeah, it, it's just really heartbreaking to, to lose in the second round of the playoffs when you've, when you made it to the, uh, when you whole won the whole thing like two years ago. So I could feel their pain a little bit, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's unfortunate. But you lost to the twenty twenty one champions, so uh, at least they can kind of hold that under uh, under some uh, some scrutiny that they might have coming up in the following season. So another uh, Michigan based USL League Two team did even better, went uh, a step or two beyond uh, Kalamazoo FC. We want to congratulate once again on their on their run. I believe they went to the national semifinal. Um, th- you guys, uh, the Flint City Bucks, uh, fell to Kalamazoo. I believe you guys met once. Can you speak about um, Kalamazoo and, and that matchup between the uh, the two uh, Michigan-based teams that went the farthest in this competition? So I did not go to the Kalamazoo game, but I can tell you this, that uh, – that it was one of their uh, three losses in the regular season. And, uh, you know, going to Kalamazoo is no, no easy feat. And they were very strong throughout the whole season. And, uh, and you know, I, I feel like that's where, you know, that was probably the litmus test for Flint to kind of see where they were at uh, as far as, you know, comparing themselves to the rest of uh, the rest of the best teams in the, uh, in the league. Uh, mind you, because Kalamazoo had been strong all season, and uh, and uh, it's unfortunate that they didn't get a matchup at home, because I feel like Flint would have definitely wanted uh, a little bit of revenge when they you know come into 
come into Kettering Stadium and, uh, you know, it's a completely different atmosphere. And they, they pretty much dominated at home, except for the little middle of the season there. It would have been very interesting to see them match up uh, at the very end of the season. So instead of like, uh, instead of them getting matched up against uh, Oakland County, that last game of the season, I would have loved to see a Kalamazoo versus Flint uh, final pinnacle game. And that would have been very, very entertaining, but we only do get the, uh, the one nil loss in Kalamazoo, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, they were, they were very strong all season and, uh, and they, they even, they actually won the division. So yeah, fair play to Kalamazoo. uh, But I guess Flint, Flint can kind of look at themselves and just think, all right, these are who the target teams are for the next season and uh, get ready for another run from, uh, from Flint in 22. Cause they're, they're not going to be satisfied with this, with the end of this season. They're going to Gary Parsons and he's uh, going to find some more players some better players and get them to recruit, uh, get them to come to Flint because of the history. And, uh, and yeah, uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting season for them coming up because uh, they'll want to come back even stronger than they were this season. I can tell you that for sure. Well, clearly, yeah, they clearly have um, the, the resources and the reach and the scouting to, to pull a, 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 a game changer, a season changer out of the bag mid season, as we're talking about with CSA. But like, uh, as when I opened uh, this conversation, there is, you know, a number of Michigan based teams, local teams, populate in the same uh, division, the same level that the Bucks uh, used to have on their own. And then next year, according to plans, a- AFC Ann Arbor will, will be rejoining the division as well. Um, in previous years, they were uh, a powerful team and contender, a uh, very competitive team. So there is even more competition for the, the elite pool of players at this level it really will be fascinating to see the the arms race that will be going on for talent here across the Great Lakes State. And I can tell you this that uh, the, the as far as as far as the multiple teams in Michigan uh, in USL two is concerned, uh, yeah, I mean I can tell you that uh, Flint's Flint's uh, products that are local and that came from within Michigan colleges at least. Um, they mostly came from Oakland, Oakland, Oakland and Western Michigan were the two schools that they would, uh, that they would go out and try and get those kinds of players to come. Only, only one Michigan player off the top of my head. Can I think of that went to, uh, Flint to go play. But again, a lot of those Michigan, a lot of those, uh, Wolverines, um, they found themselves at Oakland County. They found themselves, uh, I believe, yeah, I believe uh, their top goal scorer last last year, the year before, played at Oakland County. So again, these teams that are you know co- that are in Michigan are kind of you know taking those 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 Wolverines and those Spartans that are really performing at their best. Um, and Flint's had to adapt. They they they've got they had to recruit uh, from Georgia State. They had to recruit from uh, from all over the, uh, the the U.S. and and they were able to do so. So I, I would say it's very much uh, fair play for the Bucks to, you know, assemble a really good squad from people that are for, for kids that are pretty much all over the map as far as uh, college soccer is concerned. Um, but yeah, 
when it comes to uh, the real connections that Flint has to universities, look no further than Oakland University. Uh, and Andy, Andy used to, I believe he used to, you know, be involved at Oakland. Uh, so that's a huge, uh, a huge in for him. And, uh, and, and yeah, so uh, that is uh, really where they get most of their in-state talent is from Oakland. That is interesting. And one of the, the, the advantages or um, things w- that the Bucks have over a lot of the other teams is they have the, uh, the power and the resources to house players while Oakland County and the other teams around Metro Detroit might lean a little bit more on players that are from local. I think they're with the League Two status. Um, they can retain players that uh, you know do very well for them and not lose them the next year now maybe, and then also uh, so we might be able to get more of the the elite locals going to different teams other than the Bucks, but I don't think anyone. Uh, to my knowledge, has the power to to house those from out of state and out of region, and that's that's a really really good point. You have influence kind enough to give them some housing uh, for those out of state players uh, and some foreign players. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very very cool situation that the Flint uh, Bucks have themselves in. But I think one more, really one more thing that comes to mind as far as a real attraction to the Flint City Bucks is that they probably have the best stadium, the best home stadium in USL2. Kettering's, Kettering's Atwood Stadium is beautiful. It's a, it's a real, very big stadium that uh, with with great turf, and it's just a, it's a very cool place to play. And when every, it's the same, it's the same, uh, you know, song and dance when other teams would come over here, they'd be like, whoa, like, this is where we're playing and they, they just get like a little bit of a little bit of a smile as if they were like a little kid playing in a playing in a sandcastle. And it was just, uh, it's, it's really, really cool to play in that stadium. Uh, but yeah, the stadium, the housing, uh, the history, uh, the Bucks have a lot to offer. And, uh, and yeah, as far as, uh, these local, other local teams in USL too. Yeah. You don't, you, you really don't get to see the, the same kind of opportunities, um, and I can tell you the stadiums, the stadium is very much, at least in Michigan, the stadium is very much unique to Flint. Uh, yeah. Kettering is Kettering is very, very kind to them. Uh, and they have a really good partnership and U of M Flint also has a really good partnership with the Bucks. So, uh, yeah, the, expect the Bucks to, uh, to get as some of the best talent around the U S more so than, uh, than in state. And so are you from um, Flint the, itself or are you a local or a student? I, so I, I've, I myself am not associated with the city of Flint. I grew up in, uh, I grew up just outside of uh, Detroit. Uh, I'm from a suburb called Northville and, uh, and uh, yeah. And then I moved to, uh, I moved to Lansing uh, for, uh, for school and I, I go to school here in Michigan state. Um, but my, my extended family actually lives in Flint. So, um, so that's my connection to the city. And, uh, and yeah, I, I uh, they used to, uh, they're actually part of um, a sponsor that sponsors the Bucks. So, uh, 
So uh, yeah, I was I I was able to get free tickets uh, to some of their games in 2019, and so uh, yeah, and that's where I started, you know, following uh, what the Bucks were doing, and then uh, I couldn't turn down the opportunity to cover uh, cover the Bucks for for you guys because uh, yeah, I mean it was it, it was an easy it was an easy familiarity for me, and I wasn't really you know too attached to the team. I wasn't a fan per se. I just happened to go to the games, and uh, and yeah, it's a very very interesting team, and it was fun to work with them too. Um, it kind of you know get the get the inside of the inside scoop of like you know what's going on, and kind of uh, the uh, the just be able to kind of you know be around the vibe of what it's like to be in an organization. Um, such as uh, a USL two level uh, like the Flint City Bucks, it's a it's a very tight knit, uh, very kind of local group. That's uh, it's a very very interesting opportunity that I had. Um, speaking of vibes, so you you get to to be there in 2019 for the success, and then uh, this year as well. Speaking of vibes, um, what was it like inside the stadium, and what was like a the vibes with the the, the Flint supporters uh, in nineteen compared to this year. The Flint supporters um, in nineteen in nineteen when you got to the semifinal and final, obviously you're going to get more fans, uh, but also it was pre COVID, um, so I think that's definitely a real reason why uh, why the nineteen crowd was so so large, and uh, it was the atmosphere in the semifinal and final were were unlike any other i mean the fan the the flint local fans themselves are ridiculous uh ridiculously loyal and and are very 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 good to the club um but uh but yeah the fans uh the local fans are enough already like they're enough noise already they they and then you know when they get deep in the playoffs they get a bunch of these uh a bunch of uh, other fans from out from like all over Michigan, and uh, it was it was an insane atmosphere to be in. Uh, this season, it was a little bit more tame, uh, especially in the regular season, which you know I kind of expect uh, for a, a random regular season home game to not be as busy uh, as maybe a semifinal. Uh, but yeah, it was a very the locals were the locals were always there. You there were there were a solid proportion of of Flint supporters that were local to the area, at least that would always come every match. Uh, you can, you, you can always count on, uh, what, what they like to call themselves the river rats. Um, and, uh, yeah, you could always count on them to show up to pretty much every single home game. And honestly, some away games too, which is ridiculously loyal. And it's very, I would say it's very uncommon, uh, in USL too. very, very uncommon to see, uh, to see uh, opposing fans come to away games, it's it's something you don't get to see very very often. Yeah, I saw them. They they, they made their way down for the uh, Oakland County FC game on Fourth uh, of July. I was curious that they had gone to any other ones, and uh, uh, yeah, oh, just, they went to, just just they uh, went to Grand Rapids uh, for sure. Say that again. They went to Grand Rapids for sure. I can tell you that. Okay, so so th- so they were there uh, rooting on the team the whole way, huh? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, again, the, those Flint supporters are very, very loyal, very loyal, and uh, yeah, you're not gonna get you're you're not gonna get much more loyal fans uh, that you know go to every game. I mean, it's the same fans every time. It's just uh, it's an it's a cool feeling to have as a as an organization that you know 
they, their goal is to, you know, make Flint kind of recognize the sport of soccer and kind of embrace it. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe the younger kids that are coming to these games and kind of, you know, inspire them to play the sport of soccer. Uh, and that's their, that's their goal is to, is to take, take this city of Flint. That's, you know, known, uh, infamously, uh, as, as a city that's kind of broken and, you know, the water crisis and, uh, you know, is to take this team and kind of build from what they have and kind of, you know, introduce the young kids to soccer and kind of, you know, give them a sport that they really never had access to, uh, for, you know, most of the 2000s and uh, before that. So, yeah, it's a very cool opportunity and it's a very cool goal for them to have uh, going forward. And uh, and yeah, I mean, again, a, a lot of these a lot of these fans uh, that are coming with their families, uh, the young the young kids are uh, are all over the stadium. I mean, it's 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 very very cool to see, especially in the uh, in the opening games and the closing games of the season. Uh, you, you got to see a lot of, a lot of kids that, you know, could have been inspired by watching what they saw on the field to play the beautiful sport that we, that we all know and love. That would be exciting if, if Flint, uh, out, out of the, the Flint Bucks, uh, or the Michigan Bucks moving up to Flint and becoming the Flint City Bucks. I do hope that that pans out to be a, a long-term project and those kids you, you're talking about, I, I do hope that they inspire a generation of players, um, up in that area of the state. <clears throat> um, it's no guarantee in a lower division American soccer that all the teams come back, but um, that would be pretty darn exciting. Like to the points we brought up earlier about uh, uh, the scouting and the more teams fighting for, you know, the top talent. I mean, this is the highest level of amateur soccer. Um, and so the pool you know, ha- has its limit. And it's really exciting to, to see what links uh, these teams and those with the resources of the Bucks, like how far they will dig to um, get these treasures to, to, to remain at the top of uh, this level of soccer. That, that'll that be a fascinating thing to watch. Like I said, no guarantees. Once you start, like, uh, relying on something or get in the habit of something, uh, usually someone dissolves their team or jumps to a new league or <laughs> something like that. But I sure I sure hope that uh, next year we have this this incredibly competitive division. Um, I uh, spent the summer, uh, as I have the last few summers, with Oakland County FC. And uh, the amount of amazing goals scored in this division, the amount of late goals scored in this division was incredible. And even... Uh, Dayton, who 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 finished last, provided a tough test. Even though they didn't win, they provided a tough test for everyone. And it seemed like almost any team could beat any other team um, each week in 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 the the, the USL uh, League Two Great Lakes Division. It, it was incredibly competitive. It was it was the most yeah, intense season sure. I've followed along at this level. I mean, you could definitely. I mean, again, uh, you know, they they Dayton also tested Flint uh, early on in the season. It was a one nil. It was a close one nil game that again, Flint really suffered from not taking all of their chances. And that's kind of why the scoreline is the scoreline. But yeah, uh, the top to bottom, the, the team is, uh, the team is very, uh, the, not the team, the, uh, the division is uh, 
built in with very, very tough opponents. What, was I right about uh, Oakland County as far as their roster is concerned that they do have a bunch of uh, Wolverines? Uh, well, we the, the most incredible player I've seen at this level is Kevin Buka, and he, yeah, he's from uh, from he played U of M and he came over. But we also we also had uh, Nabojša um, Popovich for a spell. Who was another U of M guy, but we also had some a uh, handful of incredible players from Western Michigan as well, and mm-hmm. a, a few from Michigan State. So uh, the guys I feel like in years past would have maybe gotten picked up by the Bucks. I mean, Buka already had been, as well as uh, Louis Sala, who who played for Oakland County as well. So I feel like in years past they they probably are, are players of that caliber. May have um, stayed with the Bucks, but now that they could stay at that high level and stay near home on their college summers, I think was a, a huge, huge draw. And uh, I know we had more players on Oakland's uh, squad at a higher level than in the years before that had been associated with the team. It really was incredible. I mean, uh, w- Oakland County, it kind of, uh, it kind of like uh, fizzled out the season, fizzled out a little bit. Um, that Fourth uh, of July game, it was kind of, you know, who's going to make the playoffs? Kind of came to that game, and uh, we we didn't have our horses, and uh, <laughs> it all kind of the wheels came off a little bit on the Fourth of July. But uh, it was an incredible ride. Like I went on some uh, road trips um, to some away games with the squad and. Incredible one, and then the, actually the reason I asked about that uh, Flint versus Kalamazoo game was because uh, County was the the only team to actually to to be to, to defeat Kalamazoo during the regular season. So as I kind of a an apples to oranges, I was curious how that yeah. Flint Kalamazoo, and then hopefully next year all the teams are retained, and then with the addition of uh, Ann Arbor, hopefully. Um, it'll be around uh, even schedule where everyone plays everyone twice. There was a bit of scheduling um, unevenness, as uh, I believe OCFC played like six home games and eight away games, and then um, played the Bucks twice in the last week of the season, which yeah, which, which, which felt like tur- t- tilting the tables a little bit. Um, say that can't say that you were well prepared for that. I mean, uh, the Oakland County was. Uh, uh, after getting beat four one in in Oakland County, you'd hope that you know you'd get more than more than you know six days to kind of you know take that in. And kind well, of, there okay. was another game in between that too. We yeah, for us too, yeah, yeah. Those four games in the last twelve days of the season or so. Yeah, uh, the Flint Flint had to deal with uh, what July fourth, July tenth. They had three games. Yeah. So I mean, even at the the highest level, like I say about American soccer from from grassroots all the way up to the national teams, there's always some sort of a caveat, whether it be like the players you can list, whether it be the scheduling or the fields you play on. There there there's always a there's always a thing. But surely uh, you know, now that the Ann Arbor team's kind of, you know, coming to fruition, w- would that not be a favorite place for uh the Wolverines to kind of, you know, go and kind of, you know, be, you know, join that USL team rather than Oakland County. Uh, I, I, I have to believe that probably has to do with personal relationships and then where back home is, because yeah, maybe if fair. you go to school in Ann Arbor, but you, you live in uh, Madison Heights or something like that, that might not factor <laughs> in. And then if you've already have a relationship with the coaches, 
you know, all that sort of stuff probably has more of a factor in than at that point. But th- that's a fair point. That's just yet another team that is, you know, in that pool. But yeah, I mean, uh, you can see with Flint that they're kind of, you know, taking this movement of uh, uh, kind of making themselves like a national kind of uh, a brand, if you will, uh, to kind of see if they can, you know, for, for all college kids around uh, around the around America uh, to see if, you know, Flint is Flint is one of the better USL two teams historically, and uh, and they 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 really really made that move uh, uh, this year, and uh, it, it paid off. It, it really really paid off as as they were one of the better teams uh, in in the whole league, and uh, you could you could see that that probably is going to continue with some success, even if even if like you know there's no like returning players for the following season. Uh, you you can be able to kind of piece together that this is this is a squad that's going to you know has an idea and an identity of of what kind of their moves are going to be for the future, especially since they have made uh, a partnership with Liverpool and uh, the youth system, is, and they have like a youth system attachment with Liverpool uh, here in Michigan. So they have they have a very very nice setup they have for the future. And I'd be very, very interested to see if, you know, down the road they start to, you know, kind of build on their dominance uh, in in the league itself. Uh, and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe they'll win a couple more titles in the next five years, and you know, really cement that status. And you know, maybe maybe they become even bigger than USL too. I, I I don't think that's a possibility, but I'm not totally sure about the logistics. So uh, so yeah, I mean. The, Flint's in the right, going in the right direction. Um, they have the fans, they have the stadium, uh, and they they ha- they certainly have the recruitment and the success uh, attached to it. So um, you you just think it's a matter of time before uh, before all of this kind of clicks and gives them another title. And uh, would uh, a second title for Flint would really really cement them uh, as you know one of the one of the dynasties in USL two for uh, for a couple years to come. Well, yes, they're they're definitely decorated at this level. I mean, it was formerly the uh, PDL, now USL League 2. And you touched on a good point, um, kind of like under the radar to a degree because it's uh, more of a local thing. But one of the big things to take from this summer is one of the big errors in American soccer structure is the disconnect between youth soccer and uh, the uh, the, the adult and the professional ranks. And I think kind of quietly we're seeing that gap bridged with what you how you brought up the the affiliation with um the affiliation with liverpool and flint and uh detroit city fc you know they they have kind of uh enveloped or put uh, an umbrella or a pair uh they've branded and uh I don't even what's the word brought in house uh, a whole series of Metro Detroit youth programs and they've kind of are developing a roadmap to go from the youth teams for a chance at the U23 team or in the I think they had a select team in there and so that that the teams locally are uh, are trying to bridge that gap between the youth game and the the pro slash adult game, which is is an exciting step in the right direction for the the game in general, in my my belief, and also the stars 
are um, that have an uh, an affiliation with one of the the local clubs as well. So those and and I also in uh, in times past I also appreciate with the Jaguars. Uh, the Jaguars are a youth club and they feel the UPSL team for the last couple of years. So I I, I do like uh, we'll see how it pans out in the long term. But I really do like that uh, at least teams are making that effort to uh, to find the youth and at least are they're trying to figure out a pathway to go from the youth to uh, the higher levels. Yeah, I, I also kind of really think that there's a big issue uh, for the U.S. as well as far as, you know, connecting the youth to the pro levels, uh, especially uh, you know, you can see it all over the place. I mean, uh, like we talked about earlier, um, the uh, the, uh, the the kid from the U.S. that gets signed to Everton College. England has a way more, you know, kind of structured kind of, you know, this is where you go to kind of, you know, get yourself realized uh, as, a, as a professional. In the U.S., it's kind of a little bit of a disconnect, but it's slowly, they've slowly made strides, um, whether it's independently or whether it's, uh, for example, uh, I, I believe, I don't, I don't remember what they're called, but McKenney, and uh, and a couple of these U.S. stars that you see today came out of uh, a development academy that the U.S. kind of uh, held, uh, f- uh, and they still hold to to this day, and they keep producing talent out of it. Uh, but again, you you, re- you rarely see these like you know these these USL or even MLS clubs kind of associating themselves with with local clubs around their state. Um, well, it's kind and- of wild. The the last the last ten years has seen a complete about face. I'm old enough to know that, like, or to remember that, I mean, kids getting noticed here by overseas soccer entities, that's that's a pretty new concept. Like uh, that headline that, like, I was reading to you before about um, young Kellen Clegg uh, going to, uh, to, to Everton's uh, college in, like, a U23 program. I mean, and what you said uh, with Kellen Acosta's and all the FC Dallas guys that are, are mm-hmm. getting swept up and going over there, like I'm sure in times past that there's been players as good as those that just there just wasn't eyeballs from overseas here at all. And so it, it almost blows my mind that, you know, like high school kids, uh, we talked to a, a young player uh, from Livonia called Ben Johns. Uh, I think it's like episode three or four. And he's like on a trial in Macclesfield, a lower level team in the UK. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that kids are getting shots like that is such a new concept. It's, I mean, it's really, sure. really cool. Yeah. I, I, again, it's like it, I'm not I'm not totally sh- sure, like as far as like, you know, I, uh, the past and what, what kind of products that the U.S. has been able to produce uh, in themselves uh, and haven't been able to reach their full potential for one reason or another. Uh, but I mean, you can see that the when when the U.S. kind of clicked and kind of really on a national scale kind of developed a, a, a either a development a deve- developmental academy themselves or uh, a lot of the a lot of the players uh, domestically just got opportunities in Europe and you could see that reflected in the national team today where they they have a solid group of players. And all of them either uh, were were discovered at an early age and moved to Europe uh, at an early age. And, you know, when Jurgen Klinsmann was uh, in charge, he obviously cherry-picked Germany um, and some German-Americans that, you know, moved to Germany very early on and had developed in, in there. But 
within the past like three years, you can just see a bunch of talent that at least played in the U.S., which is a huge stride for for the U.S. Uh, going forward. I mean, it's to 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 have players that even played in the U.S. and now they're comfortable enough to play in the the senior team themselves is just it's it's it is mind blowing to kind of see the 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 big transition even in my youth like I, the, the difference between the the amount of quality in the 2010 world cup squad to now is ridiculous yes it, 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 the the improvement uh over the last couple of years has, has been truly impressive and in coming on the heels of uh Pulisic uh, Christian Pulisic being like announced or uh, presented as the new face of Puma's uh, new uh, equipment deal, and he's on the front of the commercials. And in the hype video for Puma, there was clips of him as a kid, and it looks like uh, some of the footage is from uh, when he his time when he when he did some stuff at Ultimate uh, in Wixom, the the indoor yeah. facility. That's pretty wild. And speaking of things not being, I don't, I think that that facility isn't isn't at the size it once was. But it's it's pretty wild that uh, in a Puma commercial, a worldwide uh, soccer brand, there is a clip of uh, him playing at an indoor facility I mean, here hey, he was, in uh, Metro Detroit. He was a rush player. What can I mean? He was a rush player for a year or two, and uh, I, I can tell you for a fact that uh, that the people, the people. The people that run Rush, I can tell you for a fact that they are very proud that they had Pulisic for a year or two. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, it's it's something that uh, uh, I am also I'm also a referee, so I get to I get to talk to some people uh, at least locally uh, of those clubs, and uh, and yeah, they're they they are you know Pulisic having this success, and they will they will never let you forget that they had Pulisic for a year or two, and it was it's it's a funny thing to just kind of realize that he was in Michigan for a couple years of his illustrious career. Yeah, that is pretty wild. And he's not a Michigan guy, but it is pretty wild. I, I uh, grew up in the UK in the nineties and uh, I, I kind of have a soft spot for Norwich cause they were good at that point. And it's kind of wild to see a, a redheaded American kid getting signed for uh, the Canaries that kind of oh, yeah. made me, made me smirk earlier in the day. Oh, God. <laughs> but uh, before uh, we wrap up, I should note we're talking about professional soccer. So we'll talk about the professional soccer here in the state of Michigan for a moment before we wrap up this episode of Michigan soccer central, the NISA N I S A national independent soccer associations fall season kicked off this past weekend. Detroit city FC won three to two over the Chicago house. The first ever game for Chicago house in a tough and apparently very physical three, two win. Detroit uh, getting the second half winner over uh, Peter Wilt's new project in their first ever uh, league game. Um, and our other Michigan-based pro team in NISA, the Michigan Stars, unfortunately fell 4-3 to three to the Cal United Strikers. And both Detroit and the Stars travel to California for games this weekend. Detroit will face uh, the Cal United Strikers as the Stars face San Diego 1904. And the hot question that that schedule brings to mind is, do you think Detroit and the Stars are going to share the same airplane on the way out there? I would assume not. 
<laughs> will the stars actually get on the plane and play their California game? Yeah, that's the, that's what I was. That's probably the route I was going to go down. <laughs> Is it more likely that they don't go than they go in the same plane as Detroit? I'm more confident in, in Detroit City FC than I am in the stars. <laughs> what in in going? Oh yeah, no, 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 and just showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Detroit. That their motto: We will show up. All right, but yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, fall season. Uh, already kicking off for Detroit. So, um, yeah, we're kind of, uh, we'll have a little bit more wrapping up the club soccer season that was, and we're quickly turning the page to college soccer season is just around the corner. So, uh, and high school as well. Dan Garnell will not let me forget. We are going to be digging in deep to high school, youth, college, all that. So big, Flip of the script about to happen here on the podcast. But thank you so much, Nick Mace, for joining me. Uh, where can listeners uh, find uh, your work? Uh, so if you uh, if you you know follow my Twitter at uh, I believe I believe it is at uh, capital N I C K and then uh, capital M A I Z. Uh, oh nope, it's reversed. Uh, it's it's at M-A-I-Z-N-I-C-K, capital M, capital N. And uh, that's my Twitter handle. And you can pretty much follow whatever I write or whatever I uh, whatever I talk about uh, pretty much on that. All right, Nick. Thank you so much for uh, giving us the 2020 Flint City Bucks review and sharing your time with us. Thank you to Jenny Hajnaki for editing the show. Thank you, Dan Katranza, for the music. Thank you for... Everyone in the Michigan Soccer Central uh, Network for bringing us all the information and making this show possible. So until next time, enjoy your soccer.